Our time in Exodus this morning, graciously and finally, maybe to some of you, draws to a close. This morning, I want to very briefly consider Exodus from 30,000 feet. Uh, because if you, you know, just read the text that Holly read, there's a lot there, but when you're just hearing it, it's like, I have no idea why any of that matters. And so this morning, I want to give sort of a 30,000-foot overview of Exodus, that if you've been here, it'll be helpful. If you've not been here, it'll be helpful. Then I want to consider the unit today. Holly just read the first little bit of, of a five-chapter unit that's sort of closing out the text. We're going to be sort of thinking about what happens in verses 35 through 40, but I'm not going to read all of it. And then after we've sort of considered Exodus from 30,000 feet, after we've considered this final unit of the text and how it brings this whole story full circle, I want to consider its implications for our life on this Pentecost Sunday. We'll talk more about why that's significant later. The title of today's sermon is Exodus for Us, a foretaste of deliverance. Perhaps you remember Exodus chapter 1, verse 1. The sons of Israel who came to Egypt with Jacob, each with his household, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah, Ishkar, Zebulun, and Benjamin, Dan, and Naphtali, Gad, and Asher, all the descendants of Jacob were 70 persons. But the people of Israel who moved to Egypt were in, were fruitful and increased greatly. They multiplied, and the text says they grew exceedingly strong so that the land was filled with them. Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph, who did not understand God's people. He would enslave them, he would exploit them, and he would eventually seek their annihilation. But even in the thick of his plotting and scheming, God was moving. One particular baby boy would survive Pharaoh's attempted infanticide, a boy through whom would come deliverance from Egypt, but this boy's path would not be a direct one. He would go from Pharaoh's course to the Midianite desert before he'd meet God in a burning bush and his life would change forever. D.L. Moody has famously said, Moses spent 40 years thinking he was somebody, 40 years learning he was nobody, and 40 years discovering what God could do with a nobody. What a life. Moses spent 40 years thinking he was somebody, 40 years learning he was nobody, and 40 years discovering what God can do with a nobody. God would call this Moses back to Egypt where he would demand the release of God's people from Pharaoh's rule. He would deliver judgment when Pharaoh resisted, and he would prepare God's people to leave at just the right moment when the 10th and final plague had befallen Egypt the firstborn of every house without the blood of a lamb over its door was killed. Egypt was broken and God's people were delivered. This for Israel would quite literally be the beginning of time, thus ending 430 years of Hebrew life in Egypt. But even after these punishing and difficult plagues, Pharaoh and his armies would pursue the fleeing Israelites back into a corner with only the sea ahead of them. God would split that sea, delivering the Israelites and drowning the Egyptians. 
God would lead his people in a pillar of smoke by day and fire by night, miraculously providing food and water on their journey to Mount Sinai. There, at the top of the mountain of God, he would call Moses to himself and give him the law, summarized in the Ten Commandments. This is how the Israelites would live with a holy God. This would define their life. In a formal ceremony at the base of Mount Sinai, God's people gathered and vowed to live God's way. All that the Lord has commanded, they said, we will do. But God's desire was not simply that the people would live a certain way, it's that they would live a certain way in his presence. So God calls Moses back up the mountain and into his presence with more instructions. This time, Moses is to give more than just the law. This time, Moses is given sort of the arrival instructions for the Almighty. God is moving into town, and this is how you can prepare his way. Some of what we saw this morning was the gathering, or in the scripture reading, was the gathering of the materials to build the tabernacle just the way God has commanded Moses. So things are going well for Israel, but just like Moses' life was not a straight line, neither was Israel's. Meanwhile, as God is communing with Moses, as God is preparing the way for his arrival, that his presence may dwell among his people, God's people begin to grumble at the base of the mountain. Moses is taking too long up there. Don't they know, doesn't he know he's our leader? Surely, church, you've never grumbled when God didn't give you something when you thought you should have it. In fact, I'm going to preach through some texts in James in the coming weeks and months about grumbling because I'm convinced that the things we say really, really matter because the things we say reveal our hearts. I think grumbling leads to relationship destruction, but I think it leads to relational destruction because grumbling reveals a heart that's not set on God. The people grumbled. They convinced Aaron, one of their other leaders, that they should build a golden calf and worship it because all they knew was having a God that they could see and feel like they had in Egypt. They wanted a God on their terms. Moses was taking too long to come down from the mountain. They didn't trust what was happening. The God they served, they couldn't really see. They said, let's just build us a God. Surely that God will be just as good as this one who's up there hogging Moses' attention. They built a golden calf, and the people who were called to worship God bowed the knee to an idol, to a false god. They even said that this golden calf had delivered them from Egypt, when clearly that had not been the case. God would bring judgment for their sin. But through the intercession of Moses, God would spare the worst of his judgment, the removal of his presence from his people forever. And God, in his infinite grace and mercy, would call Moses back up that mountain. 
When Moses came to the bottom of the mountain the first time and God's people were worshiping a golden calf and having these, these massive feasts and, and celebrating this life that this golden calf had supposedly given them, he brought the stones of the covenant and he threw them down, shattering them, breaking them to symbolically represent what God's people had done. Just a little bit before they had proclaimed, whatever you say, Lord, we will do. And now here they are bowing to a false god. The covenant that they made had been broken. But God's grace was enough. He told Moses when he came back up the mountain the second time to bring with him some stone tablets and there he would once again write his law on them. Moses had met with the Lord. Moses has interceded on behalf of God's people and he's come down from the mountain with a shining face. The Israelites are afraid. They don't know what to expect. The last time he came down, they were judged. They had royally messed up and they knew it. They had, kept, they had not kept their word. They had turned from God. Now, how will Moses respond? And that is where we arrive this morning. So look with me in Exodus chapter 35. Moses assembled all the congregation of the people of Israel and said to them, these are the things that the Lord has commanded you to do. All right, here's another chance, right? These are the things the Lord has commanded you to do. First, six days work shall be done, but on the seventh day you shall have a Sabbath of solemn rest. Holy to the Lord, whoever does any work on it shall be put to death. You shall kindle no fire in all your dwelling places on the Sabbath day. The first thing we have to ask is wonder why the first thing that Moses is talking about here is the Sabbath. This work-related command. And what Moses proceeds to do in verses 1 through 19 is give this sort of sermon type of thing that Holly read for us a moment ago. First thing, no working on the Sabbath. Don't violate that law. Now, verse 4, Moses said to all the congregation of the people of Israel, this is the thing that the Lord has commanded. Take from among you a contribution to the Lord, whoever is of a generous heart. Let him bring the Lord's contribution, gold, silver, bronze, blue and purple, scarlet yarns, fine twin linen, goat's hair, tan ram skins, goat skins, acacia wood, oil for the light, spices for the anointing oil, and for the fragrant incense, and onyx stones, and stones for setting, for the ephod, for the breastpiece. Let every skillful craftsman among you come and make all that the Lord has commanded. Now, we went through all of this several weeks ago when we talked about how God is speaking to Moses and he's telling them, this is how I want you to build the tabernacle and this is everything you're gonna need and the people already have it and they're gonna bring it and they have given them the skill to put it all together and this is exactly how things are going to go. And so now what God has told Moses at the top of the mountain, Moses is telling God's people at the base of the mountain. So whoever's got any of this stuff, y'all got any of this, like bring it. Let every skillful craftsman among you come make all that the Lord has commanded. Like we need the people who have skills to come and make stuff. And the ones who don't to come and pray for them, right? The tabernacle, its tent and its coverings, its hooks and its frames, its bars, its pillars and its bases. The ark with its poles, the mercy seat, the veil of the screen, the table with its poles and all its utensils and the bread of the presence. The lampstand also for the light with its utensils and its lamps and the oil for the light and the altar of incense with its poles and the anointing oil and the fragrant incense and the screen of the door at the door of the tabernacle. The altar of burnt offering with its grating of bronze, its poles and all its utensils, the basin and its 
stand, <laughs> the hangings of the court, its pillars and its bases, and the screen for the gate of the court, the pegs of the tabernacle, and the pegs of the court and their cords, the finely worked garments for ministering in the holy place, the holy garments for Aaron the priest, and the garments of his stones for the service as priests. All of this, man, from the stuff in the tabernacle to the structure of the tabernacle to what the priest wears when he goes into the tabernacle, like we got to get to work. We got to put all of this together. And now in verse 20, then all the congregation of the people of Israel departed from the presence of Moses. And here's how we know they're not American Christians. They came back. They came back. They didn't stand up and say, oh man, Moses was good today. Moses was preaching so good. He was telling us about all this stuff we gotta bring and I just hope they listen to him. I just hope those people over there who don't come to anything listen to him for once. I'm tired of bringing all the acacia wood. I'm tired of being the one that does all of this. That was such an inspiring sermon. I, I hope someone else listens to what he had to say but they did not do that. Now, Moses has said, this is what we're gonna need. We're gonna have a lot of work to do. The people depart. And I want you to hear, it's almost, you know, if you're, if you're looking for it, and if you're thinking about it, you almost get choked up when you're reading it. Verses 21 through 29. I want you to, if, you, if you're a Bible underliner, it might be helpful to underline every instance of every or all it follows. Then all the congregation of the people of Israel departed from the presence of Moses, and they came, everyone whose heart stirred him, and everyone whose spirit moved him, and brought the Lord's contribution to be used for the tent of meeting, and for all its service, and for the holy garment. So they came, both men and women, all who were of a willing heart, brought brooches and earrings and signet rings and armlets, all sorts of gold objects, every man dedicating an offering of gold to the Lord, and every one who possessed blue or purple or scarlet yarns or fine linen or goat's hair or tanned ram skins or goat skins brought them. Everyone who could make a contribution of silver or bronze brought it as the Lord's contribution, and everyone who possessed acacia wood of any use in the work brought it. And every skillful woman spun with her hands, and they all brought what they had spun in blue and purple and scarlet yards and fine twined linen. All the women whose hearts stirred them to use their skill spun the goat's hair, and the leaders brought onyx stones and stones to be set for the ephod and for the breastpiece, and spices and oil for the light and for the anointing oil and for the fragrant incense. Verse 29. All the men and women, the people of Israel, whose heart moved them to bring anything for the work that the Lord had commanded by Moses to be done, brought it as a free will offering to the Lord. What an incredible picture. All of God's people, with all that they have and every skill that God has given them, are operating in one accord, together, they are building God's house. The Israelites, under the direction of skilled laborers, according to the word from Moses, built the tabernacle and all of its furnishings in the chapters ahead. Chapter 37, they make the ark, the table, the lampstand, the altar. 
the altar of burnt offering, the bronze basin, the court, the materials for the tabernacle, and the materials of the priestly garments. We get to the end of chapter 39. You don't have to go there. Just listen. According to all that the Lord had commanded Moses, so the people of Israel had done all the work. According to everything God had said, the people of Israel had done everything that was asked of them. And Moses saw all the work, and behold, they had done it. As the Lord commanded, so they had done it. And then Moses blessed them. What an incredible task these people have accomplished. In chapter 40, the tabernacle itself is erected. Verse 16 reiterates, this Moses did according to all that the Lord had commanded him, so he did. In the first month, listen to this, zone back in if you lost me, this is going to wind down relatively soon. In the first month, in the second year, on the first day of the month, the tabernacle was erected. How are we telling time here? In the second year, the world's older than two years old, we're telling time by God's deliverance from Egypt. So here we are, one year to the day from the Passover, and God's people have finished this project. They have built the tabernacle. At the end of the chapter, or towards the end of the chapter, in verse 33, the text ends, so Moses finished the work. He puts the finishing touches and he gives the final blessing. Moses did according to all that the Lord had commanded him, not what he thought would be best and not what would be easiest. Their time was marked by the activity of God. And here we are, a year from the Passover. God's people have built a tabernacle where God would dwell among them. All of life is ordered by God's activity. At the end of verse 33, Moses finishes the work. And then if you have your Bibles, look with me in Exodus chapter 40, verse 34. Then the cloud, representing God's presence, then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it. And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle throughout all their journeys. Whenever the cloud was taken up from the tabernacle, the people of Israel would set out. But if the cloud was not taken up, then they did not set out till the day it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day, and fire was in it by night, in the sight of, say it with me, all the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. The presence of God would come and dwell in the sight of all the people in all of their ways, in all of their days. And God's people had a hand in building that dwelling place. Oh, church, I would make a strong argument that this is pointing somewhere. This is but a foretaste of the church, a kingdom of priests and the dwelling place of God on earth. Throughout this text, we've marveled at Jesus week in and week out. At every turn, remarkably, we see Jesus. It's almost like he already lived when this book was written, because he did. We've considered the many glimpses of him in this text. Jesus is the true and better Moses. You see, like Moses, Jesus miraculously escaped infanticide and 
grew up in a place that was not home. He may not have spent 40 years in the desert before his ministry, but he spent 40 days there. Like Moses, Jesus is an intercessor between God and man, but unlike Moses, his intercession would be abundantly more successful. If you remember at one point in the text, Moses offers to make atonement for the sins of Israel, but he could not do it. Jesus, on the other hand, offered his life for the sake of many and made atonement in his death and in his resurrection. Jesus is a true and better Moses, the leader who leads us out of the bondage of sin and slavery and into the presence of God through his broken body and shed blood. We've seen so much symbolism about Jesus in the text. Jesus is the rock who was struck and from whom flowed living water in the desert. Jesus is the bread of heaven who miraculously sustained God's people when they had nothing else. Jesus is the rock who was cleft for us that we may hide ourselves in him as Moses hid himself from the glory of God. Jesus is the rod of Moses through whom will come judgment for the nations. Jesus is the tabernacle in which the presence of God fully dwells. Jesus is the lampstand in the temple that gives light to the world and knowledge of God. Jesus is the bread of presence at God's table who beckons us to come and eat. Jesus is the lamb that was slain whose blood over our lives delivers us from the wrath of God. And Jesus is the great high priest who goes where no one else can go, grabs our hand, and walks us into places where angels fear to walk. Now Exodus ends with the glory of God in the tabernacle in sight of all the house of Israel. Church, I want to make the case that there is no biblical understanding of deliverance in Jesus outside of the church. Just as Exodus anticipates a messianic figure, just as Exodus anticipates Jesus, Exodus anticipates the church, who together would bring all they have and all they are to be the dwelling place of God. And there wouldn't just be a select few priests from one certain family, but we would be a kingdom of priests mediating God's presence to the entire world. Jesus would come, as we say every week. Jesus would live among us for some time. But Jesus would also send his spirit to dwell among us until the end of time. You know, Jesus had taught his disciples that his leaving was, was for their benefit and their gain. But they couldn't figure out what that meant or how that worked itself out in their lives. When he heard these words, the thought of him leaving would, would crush them. The thought of him not being there meant certain death for them and the, the ending of the movement that they had all given their lives for. But Jesus has told them to wait. Jesus has promised that things will be better off for them. Worship team, if you guys want to come on up to the stage. Put yourself in those early disciples' shoes, right? It's been 
uh, weeks since Jesus had died. Think about his death, his resurrection, his ascension. He would be drawn up into heaven after his resurrection. We're glad he's not dead, but he's not with us. And how is this all going to work itself out? This surreal Passover is over. And now another Jewish celebration would be on their minds. The celebration of Pentecost. And if you have your Bibles, flip over there with me as we work our way to a conclusion. In Acts chapter 2, Jesus has ascended into heaven. He has told his disciples... The Great Commission, right? In Acts 1-8, there's some retelling. He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or seasons the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and in all Judea, and Samaria, and at the ends of the earth. Fast forward to chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost arrived, another Jewish feast where they would celebrate the giving of the law at Mount Sinai, which you guys know a lot about now. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. Man, I've got pictures right now of Exodus 40, right? I've got pictures of Exodus 40 where the glory of the Lord came to the tabernacle. And here are God's disciples, the disciples of Christ gathered in one place, waiting, waiting for the power that they would receive when the Holy Spirit came. They've been on the emotional roller coaster. Jesus has died. He's been resurrected. He's proven that. He's ascended into heaven. And now they're just waiting. Verse 2 again, and suddenly there came from heaven like a, a sound, like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. Check it out. The tabernacle is in the middle. All God's people can see it. There's where the presence of God is. There's where the glory of God is. But now God's come to earth and the fire, right, this representation of God's presence, God's presence in itself is coming and it's resting on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished saying, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we... We hear each of us in our own native language. Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both the Jews and the Greeks, Cretans and Arabians even. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But the others were mocking and said, they are filled with new wine. 
In Acts 2, God comes to earth again. People don't know what's going on. Peter stands up and he preaches. The same Peter who denied Christ three times when filled with the Spirit preaches the gospel, the good news of Jesus and the Christ event. And some 3,000 people believed and were baptized. And that day, the church was born. And it has not stopped multiplying from that moment onward. Under tyrannical governments and in places of peace and prosperity, the Christian faith has prospered. Why does this matter? What are the implications of this text? Why does it matter that Exodus is a picture of the church? Why does it matter that Exodus is a picture of Christ? Why does it matter that Exodus is the story of redemption? It matters because God's telling the true story of the whole world. And we, this morning, church, are living stones in the dwelling place of God. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. We are the body of Jesus Christ on earth. And God's glory should be seen through us in light of our text this morning. And the reality that God has come to earth in the person of the Holy Spirit and started his church, I have three charges that are somewhat like what we've just read from Exodus. The first charge for us coming out of this series is this. Let us acknowledge God's presence among us. We don't invite him here. He is here and invites us into his life. He calls us into his story. When we gather for worship, when we scatter to serve, it's not about me and my needs and fulfillment. It's about him. As the gathered church, the Spirit of God dwells in us and among us. And when we gather with each other, we learn how to live his way. Our hearts are, are tuned to his word. We gather with other people who are walking the same path we're walking, not because they think like us, look like us, talk like us, but because they are God's family. They are our brothers and sisters, and we need each other to grow into the life God has for us. Because God's picture of the church is one where we're all connected and flourishing. Let us acknowledge God's presence among us. Is it not in his coming with us that we are distinct from the nations of the world? The second thing, let us follow God's word precisely. Exodus is a story of what happens when you follow God and what happens when you don't. What happens when you're too smart for God and what happens when you submit to God. Moses obeyed God at the end of the text. The tabernacle, the tabernacle and its furnishings were God's idea. They were done his way, not the way of the people. If they would enjoy God's presence, they would have to obey his commands. Church, sometimes we want to enjoy God's presence without obeying his commands, and that will never happen. Let us follow God's word precisely. Let us submit all of our hearts, all of our minds to the inerrant word of God. We can't follow that which we don't know. Let's read God's word. Let's love God's word. Let's commit to God's authority over our lives in his word. Let's follow his word precisely. And three, picture yourself. 
at the base of Sinai. Moses comes down. This is what we need. I need all of this stuff that y'all got. I need the linens. I need the cheap stuff like yarn and the expensive stuff like gold. And I want you to bring all of it. And we're going to work six days a week. And on the seventh day, we're going to rest. This is what God's commanded you. And they went their separate ways, and they all came back with whatever they had. This is my amulet, right? This is my armband. This is my signet ring. This is my this. This is my that. But you know what? It's all yours now, God. They responded in joyful obedience because they had tasted what it feels like to be on the outside looking in, and they didn't ever want to experience that again. And I think many of us Christians today, we have never had that fear of God in us of what it might look like to not be involved in God's family, what it might look like to not be part of what God's doing in the earth. And I think we've taken for granted what it means to be the dwelling place of God and the mediator of his presence to the world. So I think what the people of Israel heard when Moses is preaching isn't, oh my gosh, I gotta go give him all this stuff. What I think they heard was, we've got another chance and we're gonna give it absolutely everything we've got. All of us are all in. Whatever it takes to be obedient to God, we will do. Church, whatever it takes to be obedient to God, repent this morning of taking for granted the role we play in his story. We're not trying to build a comfortable church that people think is cool. We're trying to be the hands and feet of Jesus Christ that pushed back the gates of hell. Let's pour ourselves out for God. Let's go the extra mile. Let's give it all we've got. Let's be who God's called us to be. And let's see God use us in mighty, mighty ways. Let us acknowledge God's presence among us. Let us follow God's word precisely and let us give it everything we've got. Would you pray with me? Father, the story of Exodus is our story. The story of Exodus is your story. The story of Exodus is the story of redemption. Lord, in you and through you, all things sad are becoming untrue. And you have sent your spirit to dwell in us. Lord, help us not take this for granted. Our neighbors, our friends, our family are, are, are perishing without having heard the gospel of Jesus. Lord, shape us and mold us into the image of your Son. May the life of God in us make us kind, make us joyful, make us bold, make us compassionate, make us men of, and women of conviction. May we not neglect the glorious calling which we have received to be your witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the very ends of the world. May we be found faithful until the eastern sky breaks open and you return. And it's in the name of Jesus, the risen Lord, we pray. Amen.